Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Intruder Theatre in the Making podcast. I'm your host, Remy Rahuba, and thank you so much for coming back. Now, as you might remember in episode 8, uh, titled Redrafting Process, I started talking about redrafting of my solo piece. Now, the questions I asked at the very end were how long it was going to take me to redraft and whether any other projects that um, happened in between. Well, the answer is no, there are no other projects that happened. And uh, what I soon uh, realized was that I needed to sit my ass down and write it down, especially as there were two uh, playwriting competitions that I found out about from Elaine's list that a, a newsletter for playwrights, and I really wanted to submit my solo piece to them. Now, you also might remember that I go back and I reference emails that I sent. That's kind of um, how it works for me because it kind of reminds me of what I was doing and what I was thinking. So I also, with um, when I was preparing for this episode, I needed to dig up the emails. And I found one sent to George Azar Salinger on the 2nd of August 2015, which said... Um, subsequently, in June, that is 2015, I felt an influx of extra creative energies. Plus, two weeks ago, I found out about a playwriting competition at Soho Theatre, and the deadline, which was last Friday, made me focus on the piece entirely, which I did. There are deadlines with the BBC, and I think I meant the BBC Writers' Room, and I'm aware of them, so we'll approach them as well. The visitor is still the same in a form, however, I've slightly changed the beginning section. Middle section is mostly the same, but what's changed is the final bit of the piece, with new scenes and characters which I felt needed to be addressed but weren't previously. So it's the same story, uh, slightly developed more, and the second half is different. It's all fresh, but let's see. So just really putting all of these threads together. The deadline is coming, uh, and that's with these two playwriting competitions, and I now know a couple of things. I need to work on the ending because I know that it still needs to be worked on. Um, Also, that was confirmed by that feedback that I received from the Playwright Studio from that submission to the Play a Pie in a Pint, which said that the ending was disappointing. I knew uh, how I actually wanted to finish my piece. And you might remember that's to do with the meeting. Uh, well, that chance encounter, chance or meant, don't know, chance or fate. Uh, when I bumped into Ed Litterwood, uh, my current co-producer of Intruder, and that was back in 2012, when I bumped into him uh, in Edinburgh in the street and he told me about the restorative justice system. Uh, So I immediately knew that that's what I wanted to have in my solo piece. So the, um, the deadlines are coming. I've got two weeks 
and 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 then a very interesting thing happened. You might remember I was talking before that I was working as a face-to-face interpreter. Around that time, I started getting loads of um, booking sessions uh, at a local eye clinic. Um, where I would interpret for a couple of hours. So the bookings were for three hours at least. Um, But normally they lasted longer because, you know, when you go over there, they need to put eye drops in and they need to work and then you see the doctor and stuff like that. Um, But what I noticed around the time that every time I went to these bookings, they were cancelled and I got paid for them, which was great. And initially... I thought that was really weird because I was making money without doing any work. But also because the deadlines were coming, I then thought, wow, so I can go back home and I can just work on on my solo piece. And I really didn't have to worry about the finances because I still got paid for the for the for the full booking. And that was uh, throughout the two weeks when I was redrafting my solo piece, when I was working on the final ending which I kind of became aware of halfway through. I thought, wow, it's actually working to my advantage because the bookings are not happening where there are. I'm just going over there for the people to sign my timesheet and tell the company that I work for that I've actually been over there. But there was some kind of an error. It wasn't my problem that the booking wasn't cancelled. Nobody forwarded me that message. So I actually made money. And I didn't have to worry about the finances because I knew that I would be paid. So that was brilliant. Like the universe kind of helped me with uh, with that uh, with that period so i remember it was it was june the landlords where i was staying at that uh, 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 at that time they went on holiday and i had the whole basement to myself with the garden and i could just spend time uh, and um work on that ending and um, and as i was saying i wanted to focus on the restorative justice system um i as i said i found out about it from ed uh, and i as soon as i heard it i just knew that that was going to be the ending for my solo piece uh, i just really didn't have time to work on it to sit down uh, and actually write it and that was a perfect time these deadlines for these competitions to uh, to just get my act together and do the work um, so I love the restorative justice system that kind of confrontation uh, because it, it works in the Scottish legal system it doesn't work in the English legal system but it's um, it's the process where a victim of a crime, in my case, the, the assault, can face the perpetrator. Uh, and it's all facilitated, and there are facilitators, and it's all done by mutual agreement. So the victim and the perpetrator can, um, well, agree to that process. And they talk about it, and they talk about the whole event, they talk about the assault, and how they feel, and that it's like a conversation. Um, that's what it is. And I just love this kind of an idea of facing uh, your perpetrator, the victim perpetrator. But I also just loved this kind of a social aspect of 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 this communal, um, uh, in some way, 
living together, living in a society, um, and uh, forgiving others, and talking about it, and asking questions, uh, because then we still need to live our lives, and we still need to function as a society. And I, I felt that was that was very important. It still is, and I think. Um, I think by implementing or mentioning it in my piece, I wanted people to um, to be aware of of that process. And the two weeks that I had, I actually spent researching the restorative justice system. I got in touch with uh, Sacro, that's an organisation in Edinburgh, and I'm just looking at the website which says. Uh, Sacro is a Scottish community justice organisation which works to create safer and more cohesive communities across Scotland. And I got in touch with them. I got in touch with two people. I don't remember their names, but I spoke to them one on one. And they told me about the whole process, how it worked, what were the stages, um, you know, what what people do, how people approach um, the restorative justice system and um, what actually happens. And I also watched some YouTube videos. So I really wanted to make sure that I had the ending and uh, focused on my energies on the ending. Um, interestingly enough, um, in my solo piece, there are two facilitators and their names are Hugh and Julie and uh, maybe some kind of trivia. One of the things that I thought of when I was uh, writing that ending, I thought, OK, when I have the facilitators um, in the play and there are two, if I wanted to have an actor play that character what kind of energy would that character have and I immediately thought of Hugh Hodgett as you might remember Hugh Hodgett was the Dean of Drama at the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland uh, recently retired as I was told um, last December so immediately I pictured uh, Hugh because he has a very warm and generous and kind energy. So um, that's why one of the facilitators is called Hugh. And the other facilitator is a woman who is called Julie. And Julie coming from Julie Allen. Uh, Julie Allen I also met in Scotland. She used to be the artistic director of the Playwright Studio. Uh, now I think she the, is the artistic director of McRoberts Arts Centre. I am not sure, but a lovely woman, lovely energy, very warm, kind. Uh, and I always thought if, if that was a character, I would like to have um, that character. I would like, well, that character to have Julie's energy. Uh, so I always have these people in me um, to some respect, to some extent, sorry, that's the word, to some extent. So that's a little bit of a trivia. And the other piece of trivia is that um, about that particular section, my solo piece is autobiographical, but th that bit is not. So although all the events that are happening in the solo piece actually happened, or the stories that um, bit is not. It didn't happen. I didn't go through it. Uh, it stopped for me at some point. Uh, but 
I always thought that it was an important point, an important thing to mention, to have, and that's why it's there. So I worked on the ending, I submitted it, and um, as I was saying before in my previous episodes, I kind of dreaded this um, idea of, okay, you need to submit your piece by 12 p.m. on this particular day, because I thought, what's the point of that? But then, all of a sudden, became clear to me that, wow, it's great, because I now have got the deadline and I can submit it. And I submitted it, and... Uh, and I left it, and then I went on holiday, and the next couple of months, uh, I never came back to them. I submitted it, I sent it to George for, uh, just to have a read, Uh, but by that time, I knew that, you know what, I need to live my life, Uh, I wasn't really in a rush, I was very patient with them, with George and with Peter, Uh, I didn't expect them to be emailing me immediately when I sent them my next redraft. I actually forgot about it. And then I remember when they emailed me back, I think it was October, then I just remembered. And it's been most of the cases that I completely forgot that I emailed someone and all of a sudden that email comes and you go, oh my God, I actually did email them, you know. And that was the case with George. George came back to me on the 12th of October and and gave me a little bit of feedback and said, I think it has come on quite a bit. It's full of visceral energy. The structure feels almost impressionistic. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds good. Uh, But then, of course, he did tell me about, you know, the fact that the piece was linear uh, with certain in certain bits and non-linear and that needed to be worked on. And I was aware of that, uh, but I was very, very happy and proud to 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 have written that ending that I had been planning to do for quite some time, but I never had time to do that. Uh, But it was constructive feedback, and I think that's the best feedback you can get, and that always motivated me to move on to work on the piece. Um, Especially as I didn't go very far with the playwriting competitions. Um, I didn't go anywhere uh, with the Soho Theatre competition. I think with the BBC Writers' Room, I might have gone through the first stage, but I may be wrong. Maybe I just went through the first stage, but that was it. But it's actually interesting when I was now reflecting on my on these on on this journey of these competitions. I never got very far with them. Like all the feedback that I got was well, either no emails or nothing. And when I was preparing for this episode, I was thinking, what was it that made me? work on it? What was it that I was motivated? And I I can't find a reason to to say, okay, this was it. Because actually the competitions, there was no feedback, nothing was positive, uh, there wasn't anything coming up, uh, meaning production-wise, there was no plans, I didn't have a director. Uh, the only thing that I can really put it down to was my inner motivation that I can write it and I will do it and no matter what happens I can uh, plow through it I can move on and it'll be fine and it will be 
it would be a good play because I thought it was important. I always come back to that moment when I was uh, trying to get into drama school back in Poland and I was told that, you know, I wouldn't, I, you know, I should give it up. I Acting is not for me. Maybe that was the thing that all of a sudden, just like with acting, that I got accepted into the Royal Conservatory of Scotland. I, I could do it. Maybe it was the same thing here when I got all the negative feedback, uh, well, or no feedback at all, that I still had this inner feeling, I don't know, instinct, intuition, that I knew, you know what, it's going to be fine. I don't have to worry about it. Uh, there are people that enjoy it. I enjoy it. I quite like it. And if I like it, if I enjoy it, why did I continue? And even people like, you know, George, Asa Selinger or Peter Arnott, who always encouraged me, I think that was the thing that I thought, you know what? Yeah, they like it. Uh, they see something in it. They were helping me with it. At this time, I didn't think that I could even think of any kind of a production. But... I kept writing. That was interesting. I kept working on it and I kept writing and, uh, yeah, and I was self-motivating uh, to do work on it. But, of course, I was taking breaks as now, um, well, that was the end of 2015, uh, that I didn't um, work on the piece at all. And it's fine. I think it's quite normal that you need to live your life uh, that you need to rest and rest from something and then come back to it. Of course, I was in conversation with George and with Peter and I remember I saw him that year in November. I went to Glasgow because the Playwright Studio was organizing organizing some kind of an event um, and I went over there. So we had a conversation about my piece, which was always great to have a chat with someone because even when you talk uh, to someone about a piece or anything, certain things become clearer, make sense. Yeah, that's that's another thing that I discovered, but I discovered it just last year recently, that when I talk about certain things, something just clicks in my head. I don't know. Um, maybe I wasn't aware of that that well in 2015, but... Uh, I always found these conversations very stimulating. And then at the end of 2015, I had this feeling that, um, okay, the piece was uh, bilingual English-Polish. And because I had been focusing it uh, from that, well, linguistically, lingu linguistically English point of view, Maybe I could focus on it from the Polish point of view or look at the Polish text or expand it uh, from the Polish point of view. And I thought, who could I work with? And um, I got to know a Polish director. Her name was uh, Kasia Ruzycki, uh, who now lives in Poland, and she graduated from the Royal Conservatory of Scotland. And I saw uh, her shows, and they came to London uh, to present their pieces that they worked on at the Conservatoire and I met her and we got on really well and I approached her and I said, uh, you know, Kasia, would you be able to kind of work with me on it and help me with it a little bit? 
and she is you know very enthusiastic and positive and she said yeah sure why not so at the beginning of uh, 2016 that's january and february we worked on the piece a little bit so we met i think twice or three times and we worked for i think three hours each time um and it was very, very interesting. Uh, we put it on its feet, so we didn't really talk about uh, the play. We were kind of rehearsing it in Kasha's house, kind of, you know, I was doing certain bits and bobs. And then from that, I then expanded on um, on what I already had because we kind of felt that, you know what, it's great, but maybe we need to look at certain bits um, especially the beginning, uh, the, the the sections where I'm talking about teaching at different schools. Uh, and I remember it was quite an enjoyable period because we laughed a lot and I came back home and then I, in the evening, worked on some kind of, you know, um, scenes and put them together. Uh, and I remember it was, it was a very... Uh, enjoyable period for both of us uh, these meetings but after I think two meetings we had this conversation that you know what I I can't really pay Kasha for her work uh, I don't have any budget for the work um, so we decided mutually that um, we would stop uh, meeting and uh and we would resume possibly, potentially, when there is some budget, uh, maybe when I have some funding uh, for the project. But I always remember these sessions, these meetings as very, uh, as full of fun and enjoyment and laughter. And actually that period uh, helped me uh, a lot with the next stage of my play. Uh, so we stopped meeting, but I think that was meant to be because soon after, and that was the end of February, a miracle happened. I mean, a miracle. Uh, another degree of my dream came true, and that was to work with Katie Mitchell. I've always loved Katie's work, and I wrote to her, and I don't know how, what, how, well, I do know now, but it was a miracle. But I'm cutting a long story short because I could probably record another episode talking about the whole process and how I got involved into it because it's quite a quite a funny story. But then from the end of February until, until about mid-June, I worked on Lucia de Lamamore at the Raw Opera House. And it was quite an interesting process because the rehearsal process was five weeks. Then we were, well, rehearsal process with cast A because there were two casts. So we were rehearsing for five weeks with cast A. Then we went into performances. Then we went back into rehearsals with cast B. And then into performances. So the whole process, the whole production uh, contract was for about three months and a half. Now, I was completely engrossed in the full production. I mean, when we were rehearsing and then after, uh, and then we came back to rehearsals and then after, uh, well, performances with cast B, 
I didn't have time to even think about my um, my solo piece. That was a complete reset, a complete break. Um, you know, we were rehearsing and then performances and you might have thought, okay, well, yes, of course, you know, he was busy. With opera, it works the other way around because they, the world, the singers um, perform twice, uh, maybe sometimes once a week to, to have their voices rested. So when we were performing, it was only that I performed once or twice a week, but I was paid the full equity week, which was amazing because, I mean, I didn't do much during the, the week or the day. And then in the evening, I just went to perform at the Royal Opera House. But I absolutely loved it. I had such a blast doing that production. It was amazing. And I think it's a great production. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I recommended it to all the friends. But I also was busy, um, uh, you know, a meeting with family because they they came from Poland to see it. A lot of my friends came to see it, and then I showed them around. And uh, it was it was a really blissful time. And I always think very very warmly of that production uh, that we actually revived later on. But I'm going to talk about it a little bit, uh, well, in another episode. But that period, I didn't work on on the piece at all. Uh, I didn't touch it, apart from an occasional email from Peter Arnott, who was sending me different questions and feedback and, you know, things that we were discussing or he was asking me about uh, my redraft. And the the next uh, important piece of information, as far as my solo piece is concerned, is the feedback that I got from Peter in July. And then this piece of feedback, Peter literally just says, is it really two monologues? But was it too much? Was it two monologues? Did I have to do anything else? Well, that's going to be in episode 10 of Intruder Theatre in the Making podcast. Stay well. Stay safe. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I'll speak to you next time. Bye for now.